Hey there, True Multifamily listeners, Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser. Here with me today, Mr. John Kasman. John, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Justin, man. It's great to see you, and I'm excited to be back on the show. Back for round two. Very, very excited when I saw your name pop. I'm like, yes, always good to talk to John. So um, let's dive right in because you have had a busy year. It's been just over a year since you were on the show. And uh, man, you've had a lot going on. So first, remind people a little bit about your history and and what you've done um, and who you are. And then we'll get into some of the great progress that you've made in the last year. Yeah, absolutely. John Kasman. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. I used to live in Chicago. So I spent eight years in Chicago before moving to Cincinnati in 2019. I am a general partner in over $100 million worth of real estate. Actually, it's less than that now. We sold a good chunk of uh, oh. that portfolio. Uh, well, it's a good thing, but it nonetheless, uh, we've been able to be involved and be invested in over $100 million worth of real estate. Uh, and we continue to grow. Uh, I came from corporate America, I spent 15 years in uh, advertising and marketing for large brands like Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew, and General Motors, and slowly started building up my own personal multifamily portfolio before starting to work with other investors and scaling into real estate full time. Um, you know, last year we did about $20 million worth of real estate in about 100 days, and we continue to grow and look for our next opportunity. Wow. All right. So many, so many things right there in those first few sentences. Um, number one, you mentioned selling properties, right? It's a weird transition, right? To go from always wanting that higher unit count and higher assets under management count. And then all of a sudden you start selling because the time is right or you've executed your business plan. Now that number starts to go down and you're like, wait, is my ego going down with this? Like what, what's <laughs> happening here? Right. It's a little different. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And, you know, I'm not a big unit count guy, but I, I just find that it's, you know, you, Part of it, when you're doing a show like this, I think people really want to know if effectively like, hey, does this person have any experience? Do they know kind of what they're talking about? So I think it's helpful to communicate to people that, hey, we've done some larger deals, but I could really care less what the unit count actually Fair is in, at any given day. Uh, but it just gives you a sense of, hey, we've invested. But yeah, I mean, for us, what really happened, and I'm sure you guys saw this as well, you know, coming out of or really because of the pandemic, it really forced everyone to take a look at their current investing strategy, their portfolio, and the current level of demand and determine which properties you wanted to keep in the portfolio, which ones you know you exceeded on your business plan, and just continue to right size and make adjustments. And for those where the valuations had jumped up and you, you know, pretty much hit your five-year performance in two years or three years, you know, if you could exit those deals and maybe go and and grab something that's a little bit newer, a little bit of a better asset, or to to start over and go do the same business plan, another asset, it just made sense to do that. So like us and many other investors over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, and taking a look at that portfolio and given the current level of demand, it just made sense to exit some of those assets. Yeah, we, we saw the exact same thing. And 
know, the other, the nice thing, of course, you know, you're exiting, you're returning the capital to your investors, but if you've done it right, they're saying, well, what's next, right? And so you hopefully have the next deal lined up to to put them right into. And so it's not like you're losing those. Most of the investors probably want to stick around and get involved in the next deal. That's what we saw, at least. Um, so tell me, you, you just threw out $20 million of real estate in 100 days. So tell me about those 100 days. What happened? Um, you know, the last time we spoke, you you were adding value to other operators and other teams and you were part of the GP team, but really more focused on like the marketing and and adding value with your branding and marketing experience. Now it sounds like you've transitioned more into the lead role. So let's talk about that transition a little bit and you know really into 2021, like what what came out of that transition and, and tell me about these new properties. Yeah, I mean it's great, great point there. I mean for us, you know, starting out, we kind of mentioned building our own personal portfolio. Well, that's how I came into this. You know, I came into real estate, buying small properties, managing them myself, along with my wife, building our own systems and processes, you know, interviewing uh, any maintenance guys, reviewing all resident applications, screening them, showing the properties ourselves. So you know, I had a lot of hands-on experience coming into real estate. And what ended up happening is we went to the larger properties. It just made more sense to align ourselves with other operators who had more experience on a larger scale and kind of be a part of the team as opposed to driving the bus, you know? So that kind of took a life of its own with our partnerships and kind of the skill set that I brought to the table naturally being, you know, in advertising and marketing for so long, understanding how to, you know, develop those relationships. But then also in that industry, I was doing a lot of account management. Well, that's investor relations type stuff, right? So I was talking to clients and investors. So, so that was something that came very natural to me in that sense. So I was playing more of a role in that that field, but ultimately I wanted to kind of get back to being more involved in all aspects of decision-making and finding the deal, vetting the opportunity and just, you know, being having a little bit more control. Um, you know, sometimes when you're partnering with other groups, you know, yes, everyone's collaborating, working together, but at the end of the day, you know, the lead team is going to make the final decision. And so that's why it's so important to understand who you're partnering with uh, initially. And for us, it was never a sense that we just wanted to um, only work with other operators. We always wanted to be more hands-on in the deals that we were doing. So we just made it a point to say, hey, you know what? Why don't we step back instead of just continuing to do what we're doing? Why don't we step back and make sure we find opportunities where we can be in that lead role more? And uh, that resulted in the deals we did in 2021. Uh, I will say that it was not intentional for us to do those two deals back to back within 100 days. I really tried to space them out. (laughs) a lot more, but uh, we ran into some challenges and, you know, sometimes you can't control the loan process and how things come together. Uh, So it did end up being a little bit closer together than we initially anticipated. The deals come when they come. And so that's one thing we really can't control. And so (laughs) if you can handle it and pull it off, then then kudos to you. And it sounds like you did. I love that you started, you know, we talked in the first episode about, and guys go back and listen to that episode. It's so great, but um, adding value to others and and being a part of the team and bringing your other experience. Um, so when you decided to, that, Hey, I want to be in the driver's seat or in the front seat, as you told me before we started rolling here uh, versus the, the shoved in the back seat of the car. Um, what is that transition like? Tell me about that. Like, do you need to bring on new team members? Is it the exist other teams that you've partnered with, but you're taking on more responsibility? Tell tell us about that transition a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, if you're looking to make that transition, right? And there's two transitions I see most investors make. 
One is going from the passive side, the LP side, to being a general partner. The other is being a general partner to kind of that, that lead operator role, right? So from the LP to GP role, that transition is more about instead of just, you know, determining whether or not you like a team and decided to invest with them. Well, now you've got to have more roles and responsibilities, right? You've got to really do a deeper uh, due diligence on the property, the business plan, you know, the partners, you know, maybe you're, you're going to be expected to raise some capital for that deal or to play some other roles in marketing or investor relations. So you really have to make sure that you can deliver on those roles and those tasks and make sure that you are delivering for the overall deal. Now, when you're going from, you know, a the GP team to kind of the lead, there are a few things. First and foremost, you've got to get the deal from the beginning. You know, a lot of times when you're on a GP team, you may not be the the folks who find the deal or you're a part of the the first offer, the initial underwriting. So you're coming in kind of once there there's a deal that's already established or identified and someone's saying, hey, we've got this deal that we're working on. You know, would you be willing to come on the team and, and help us out with this, right? Well, in this case, you're part of the search committee, right? <laughs> you're a part of the team that's mm-hmm. finding the deal. You know, you're you're part of the initial conversations with the broker or the, the, the owner wherever you're getting the source and the deal from. So you're part of all those initial discussions. You're underwriting the deal. You're underwriting the deal multiple times. You're changing your strategy. You're saying, well, what if we do this instead of doing that? What if we only renovate this amount of units? What if we put this kind of renovation in place as opposed to this kind of renovation? So you're going through a lot of those what-if scenarios up front, really even before you submit an LOI. So you're doing a lot of that legwork and you're involved in all of those discussions. So by the time you actually have that deal under contract, you have a very good sense of the best business plan and the best path forward. Uh, From there, it's a little bit easier to navigate and understand the best route uh, and figure out where there might be bumps in the road. So to me, that was really important just to get more upstream. Um, I think with my experience, particularly in corporate America and overseeing you know, large campaigns and, and multiple advertising agencies and developing strategies for big brands and being involved in all these discussions, all the what ifs scenarios, that's really where I shined. And I think one of the challenges is when you're being brought in um, and maybe some of those conversations have already been had, it's a little more difficult to kind of steer that direction or change strategy, even if people love your strategy, even if they think you're right, if they've already gotten consensus or buy-in on one approach, it's a little bit more difficult. So for me, it was a matter of, hey, let's get more upstream in this process because we think we have a lot of value to add because I've been able to do this for you know $100 million campaigns, large companies, large brands. You've seen my work, right? So because of that background, I just felt it was really important to get more upstream. And to your point, as far as what changes, yes, you may have to change partners. You may have to figure out, okay, what roles do I want to play and what roles do I need to supplement or work with someone else on? Uh, is it a partner or are you hiring out that role? You know, um, there are a lot of different ways you can structure it. But I think for us, it was really important to find someone who we could partner with. We have built relationships over the years, especially from, you know, hosting a podcast and having so many other conversations. So we felt like we had a pretty deep network and a handful of people that we wanted to work with. So it was really, I won't say it was easy, but uh, we had relationships in mind when we were ready to make that transition. So it just made it a little bit easier to go in, have those discussions, figure out what a partnership could look like and move forward according, accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind sharing how you divided up roles and responsibilities with the partner and 
um, or partners and, and sort of how what your team looks like now? Yeah. So it's it's going to depend on, you know, the deal and, and you know, what the exact business plan for property is. Uh, from my standpoint, you know, my primary role is usually going to be helping out with acquisitions and underwriting, making sure that we understand where the deal uh, fits, make sure I understand the story, understand the business plan, and then making sure that we can present that to the investors in our database that we've talked to uh, and really leading kind of the investor relations process there. And then on the operations, you know, um, typically I, I work with a partner who leads that. Uh, we may kind of co-lead those things. Sometimes I take the lead, sometimes they take the lead. It really depends on the deal, the strategy, and what's all involved. So um, construction is not necessarily my forte. So if it's more of a heavy renovation play, I'm probably not going to be in that driver's seat. Uh, but if it's more operations and we're more talking about uh, project management or you know developing a strategy or business plan where it's about rolling out different marketing initiatives or you know adding value to by by packages or you know things of that nature where it's more operational versus construction that's the place where I might take more of a lead role. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and do you have any employees in your business right now? So I don't have. Well, that's not fair. Um, yes. We do. Yes, we do. So there's two ways to think about the business, right? So there's a property itself, which we certainly you know, hire. We have payroll for that property. Uh, we typically hire a third-party management company and then hire out the payroll on that property. And then for my business directly, I have folks who help me with all of our marketing initiatives. So those individuals are uh, you know, employees of ours. Um, as far as like, you know, uh, other specific roles on the team, we have strategic partnerships. And I would say, if you're looking to make that transition, you're not in a situation where you're doing a crazy amount of deals and you can't, you know, float a quarter billion dollar payroll out of the gate. You may want to, you know, find strategic partnerships so you don't have to necessarily stroke a check for all that right away. But then obviously you, as you build and you scale, you can decide to bring that all in house and have it as, you know, one company, or you come together with those strategic partners and say, okay, let's form uh, a company. And then as we continue to scale and continue to grow, we can then hire people to fill some of these roles underneath us. That makes a ton of sense. And that level of growth is, you know, that, that resonates because, because we, we've hit a, a point where you know, we started exactly the way you said, and, and now we're talking about scaling and okay, what, what new hires do we have to bring on and, and who's managing who and, it's, you know, they're, they're, the work has exceeded the amount of hours that each of the partners has. So we have to start to think about business structure and process and operations and, and everything else. And these are companies that we're forming here. So, yeah, you know, it's like a real business. Um, and, uh, and I love that you said the phrase business plan a few times already um, for our properties. So I want to transition then into these two new properties um, that you purchased this year. And, you know, let's start with you know, how you found them. Uh, but really, I want to focus in on building that business plan in the start. You know, you said you wanted to be more upstream. You wanted to be part of those early discussions. So what is that like? How do you decide if you should be putting 10K a door in or 2K a door in and or or something completely different? Right. So so tell us about that process a little bit. Yeah. And that, and that can change. Right. It can even change when you're in it. You know, as you're executing yeah, the deals, you're seeing the results of the effort that you're putting in, right? So that's a continual thing where you're always evaluating, you know, the current business plan, interest rates, you know, um, current demand, rent growth. You're always looking at these different factors and adjusting accordingly. So for, for me, the way I look at it is this, what do I see as the opportunity for a property? What are current rents? 
um, what's current occupancy, um, what has vacancy looked like over the last year, where do I think there's upside in the market, what are the comp sets, what does all that information tell me? And based on all those various inputs, we'll start to figure out where there might be an opportunity. And based on that, that's what we kind of formulate our business plan. It's really a hypothesis, right? I mean, we're trying to say, hey, based on what I see in the marketplace, I believe that rents are 20% below market. And in order to capture this 20% of uh, rents, we need to do X, Y, Z to the property. Maybe it's we need to renovate the kitchen and we need to spend $3,000 in the kitchens. And maybe it's just upgrading appliances and um, redoing the countertops. Or maybe it's, you know, changing out the cabinets, whatever it is. You know, so we're going to look at the comps and the comps are really going to tell us what we should be doing. I like to have kind of an anchor comp. That's something that's really important to me. I like to have a comp that is close to this property, has a lot of the same characteristics that, you know, our subject property has that I can look at and say, okay, this property is getting X, Y, Z. It is fair to believe that if we do, if we change this property to look like that property, that we should be able to get the same X, Y, Z. Now, there are a lot of other factors, right? We don't want just that one outlier property. I want to look at multiple properties, but I do like to have a, a comp property in mind because I think sometimes if you look at five different properties, there's so many differences between those five properties. It can be hard to figure out what exactly you should do. So I think it helps to have at least one comp property where you look at it and say, okay, hey, here's five comp properties, but out of the five, this one here is our closest comp. And here's the one that we're going to try to target. Now, you still may adjust up or adjust down or say, hey, we want to do a little bit better than that. Or you know what? We don't know if we can get that. So we're going to not we're not going to do the same renovation that this property has. But either way, I think that really helps you to form that hypothesis. But it's all hypothesis until you go out and do it. Right. So once you kind of have that plan in place, now you got to go execute and the market is going to respond. And maybe you exceed your plan and you say, you know what? I actually think we under renovated. Maybe we should be doing more. I think we could get another hundred dollars in rent. Or you realize, you know what? I don't think we need to do half of this stuff. And I think we could push rents 200 bucks with very minimal work. So you start to get some of that feedback and you continue to adjust the business plan accordingly. I didn't want to stop you. You're on a roll. So, so much good stuff. But I do want to uh, rewind a little bit and talk about the comps because it's so important. Oh. You know, if I'm looking at a single family house, right? The comps, pretty easy. Same size, same, same age same neighborhood, it's going to be worth the same amount. Um, but when you're comping a property, um, not in the way that you're talking about as far as valuing a property, right? We talk about NOI and valuing property, but you're you're really talking about comping a property from the tenant's perspective. Yes. Right? The tenant comes to the office and says, wow, this property has X, Y, Z, A, B, C, right? And that might be the new countertops, like you mentioned. But what are the other things about the property that you are looking at to say whether this is a comparable property that we want to emulate or use as our anchor property? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you clarified that too, because there's really two layers of, and let's call them rental comps, because that's really what we're talking about. Not sales comps, but rental comps. There's two layers of that that I'm looking at. One is going to be at the property level, and then one's going to be at the unit level. So at the property level, I'm looking at the age of the property. I'm looking at, you know, again, the location of it, how many units are at this property and what amenities does it have? You know, if they've got a, a tennis court and swimming pool and a playground and dog park and all these other features 
and you have a no thrills facility, that's not going to be exactly a comp, right? If this place has a you know workout facility and a hot tub and all this stuff, and you're like, we got you know, um, internet, <laughs> you know, we got internet hookup. Right. Uh, it's not, it's not exactly a comp for that resident. Cause that resident's going to look at it and say, okay, this property has all these different features to it. This property has nothing, you know, which one would you want to live at? So you're going to have to, to dock your property because it doesn't have that. The same is true on the other side. If your property has all of those amenities, you don't want to look at a comp that doesn't have any of those amenities, unless you're saying, Hey, this property has none of these amenities and they're getting XYZ for rent. We have all these amenities. We should definitely be getting more, right? So right. There, there's still value in having it, but it's not that true apples to apples comparison that I think a resident's going to go through because residents will, you know, not rent a, re- a property if there's certain features that they're looking for and that property doesn't have it. So you have to look at it from the property standpoint, first and foremost, then you go to the unit. You know, what is a resident looking for? Do they need central heat, central heat and central air? Do they need upgraded countertops and cabinets? Are they looking for stainless steel or black appliances? Are they looking for hardwood floors throughout? Are they looking for in-unit washer and dryer? Do they need a dishwasher? So you're going to be looking for all of these different finishes and amenities in the unit and comparing against those other properties. So you understand what finishes do they have? If a resident is truly comparing your property and one of those rental comps, what are they going to see and how are they going to make that decision? And, and not to mention size, I kind of uh, missed that, but you know the size of the unit. If you've got a 750 square foot two bedroom apartment, but the comps are 1200 square foot for a two bedroom apartment, but when they walk in yours, it's going to feel cramped and small versus when they walk into that 1200 square foot apartment, it's going to feel spacious and large and they're going to be willing to pay a little bit more for that larger property. So there are ways that you can certainly you know, compare the two. But typically when I'm looking for that ideal subject or that ideal comp, I want a property where it's as similar as possible so that we can kind of remove as many unknowns. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you're doing a science experiment, you've got your, you know, your, uh, you know, your, your, your test, you know, and then you're going out there and you're identifying, okay, uh, how do we remove, you know, uh, as many, um, as many outliers as possible so I can truly get a, a real comparison, understand what's happening here. I love that breakdown. Um, and you're so right about all those different things. And, you know, for those listening, just think about from the resident's perspective, you know, all those different factors, how much green space is there on the property? Um, is there a walking trail? One thing that we see um, is the difference in unit type. So a two bedroom townhouse is not the same as two bedroom flat or apartment, right? And so even if it's similar square footage, a townhouse probably has a sliding back door, maybe a fence-in yard, um, you know, and, and living area downstairs, bedrooms upstairs, uh, versus an apartment it might just be big and spacious, but maybe doesn't have some of those features as well. Um, hallway access. I love that you said, you know, on the heating and cooling as well, you know, is it on a mini split? Do I get my own heater um, and furnace or is it on boiler and chiller? That's, you know, going to be uh, problematic for me. Um, so all those things, really great, great way for, for people to, to sit down and really think about, you know, those comps. So now you've got your comps. Now you've got an understanding of, okay, I'm this property plus 25 bucks a unit or minus or whatever. Um, and so you, you buy the property and start, you, you mentioned feedback, right? So how are we soliciting feedback from the market? How are we getting word on, are we priced too high, priced too low? Are we offering enough? Is it, are we renovating too much or not enough over renovating? Tell me about that, that feedback loop that you mentioned. 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it's an ongoing process with your team, right? So you don't do this in a vacuum. You want to sit with your leasing team, your property management team. You want to make sure that you're all aligned with what finishes are necessary to achieve certain levels of rent, you know? And once you kind of have that alignment along with your construction or your contracting team, then you go out there and you you do a couple units, right? And you put them out there. You see exactly what's the market like. You know, I know some people who like to uh, to to market a property lower than what they expect and try to just drum up a bunch of interest and see how many people respond. Uh, I know people who say, "Hey, look, if I don't have a long wait list and I don't have a lot of vacant units, let's mark this thing up as high as possible and let's see if I get calls." You know, if I get calls at fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, great. Let's let's see if we can rent it at fifteen hundred dollars. Right. Even if I believe that's way over market, let's let the market kind of dictate that. And when we stop getting calls, maybe we start dropping the price accordingly. I can't say there's a right or wrong answer. I would definitely refer to a leasing agent and lean on your leasing agent and your leasing team's expertise there. Uh, but there are definitely different strategies that you can employ to determine what the market value is. I think you also want to keep monitoring comps. Because, you know, when you underwrote the property, that comp property might have been renting that that two bedroom for a thousand dollars. Well, if that was in November or December, when you get into March, April, May, that may shoot up because that's prime leasing season. So now that that two bedroom may be leasing for eleven hundred dollars and it went up by you know a hundred bucks. So I think you definitely want to keep your eye on kind of the comp set. But really at that point, now you're focusing a little less on what other people are doing in the market and what you can control yourself, which is which is your properties and whether or not you're getting tours coming through, how many showings are you having, and then what's your conversion? You know, are you converting people who tour the property um, from your marketing efforts? Are you getting people that come in or putting in applications? And you just start tracking that data so you can adjust accordingly. Yeah, and your property manager should have all of that data and be sending you weekly reports with every step of the way. So we had this many inquiries, this many phone calls, this many people in the door, tours, and, and so on, all the way down to signed leases. Um, we, we also measure how many, how long are our finished units sitting available, right? So if I'm renovating units doing heavy capex, how long are my units sitting out there before I actually have someone that signed a lease that's ready to move mm-hmm. into those? And so, um, but again, like you said, it's seasonal. It depends on the the what's going on in the town that you're in, the amenities that you're offering. Like, the, there's so many factors of the weather factors, and more than you would think. <laughs> believe it or not, you know, it's if it's rainy for two weeks and cold in the spring, like you might get a slow start to your leasing season because people don't want to go out in in the rain and cold. So and you just never know. Go- and, and go back to the business plan, though, right? Because it, even as you talked about how long is this finished unit sitting. I think that comes down comes down to the business plan as well, right? Because if you're doing, let's say you have a, a property that's 50% vacant, your business plan may be, hey, we need to fill these units, you know, as soon as we turn them, right? As soon as they're ready to go, let's try to get these things filled. If you have a property where it's 98% occupied and you get a vacant unit, you might say, hey, it's okay if this property sits vacant a little bit longer because right. I need to really, you know, we have a lot of demand. We need to be pushing rent and pushing these terms. So all of that factors in, lease renewals. You know, again, if, if you're 50% occupied, you know, maybe you're trying to keep those good residents you have so you can quickly lease up. If you're 98%, you you might say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna crank rents up if you can and the market can vouch for it. You might say, hey, we really need to push rents, particularly if you came into this knowing that rents were below market value. So it really does come back to the business plan 
in making sure that you are making decisions based on what you see at the property as well as what you see in the market. Yeah, you know, starting with the plan and then being flexible and adaptable to what's happening, um, absolutely crucial. Um, so let's talk about your sort of new role. You're you're more in the lead asset manager role. What does that look like for you from a day to day? Someone you know is listening. They they want to grow to be an asset manager. They want to be that lead in the driver's seat. Tell us about what does John Casman do? What does it mean to be an asset manager on these properties? We already talked about, you know, the feedback with your, with your property managers, but what else is going on? Well, again, it comes down to, you know, the, the business plan, your, your primary objective is to make sure the business plan is being executed. So, you know, again, that's going to vary a little bit based on the business plan. Um, You know, one of our properties, it was a newer asset built in 2019. So very little construction work needed. Really the only thing we're doing is, you know, painting a little bit on unit terms, um, maybe chart changing out some of the hardware, little things like that. But that play is more of an operational play. We know that we need to do a better job on rent collection, um, as well as pushing rents to where they need to be in the market. So a lot of our conversations are about current leases, expiring leases, collection, delinquency, and really taking a hard look at that. We go over our numbers every week. We put a plan in place for that upcoming week, and we come back to see how that plan is is uh, working out for the week, and then making any adjustments necessary. Um, you know, following up with the team, making sure everything is communicated clearly, and everyone has their marching orders to go out there and execute. On a property like our other project, which has us renovating more units and going in and making more updates, you know, that's more involved with our contractor um, managing the construction. How many units are we doing this week? Where are we at in the process? Process. When will these units be available? When can we start marketing them to pr- prospective residents? And when can we start doing showings for some of these leases? On both assets, we're constantly trying to build up kind of a waiting list or at least a list of prospects so that they can come in, see what these properties or these units look like, and they're available as soon as they're uh, they're completed. So we want to shorten that time, as you kind of mentioned. I want to shorten a time from the property or the unit being available to having someone ready to move in because the moment it's available, I'd love to get somebody in there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of being proactive to build up that waiting list. We like to take pictures of units so people can see like, hey, the unit's not done today, but here are the finishes. We have a unit that, you know, is close to being done. I can show you that so you can get a sense of it or here's some pictures of a finished unit. And that makes it a little bit easier to, to paint that picture for a resident. But my day is usually calls with the property management team, following up on, you know, key communications there, um, following up with investors as necessary to make sure that they're informed of operations, what's happening, how the deal is tracking, uh, and really just staying in touch with the team in regards to where things are progressing on a day-to-day basis. Got it. I'd love to explore briefly the operation play. You know, a lot of people... It's fairly easy to understand. I come in, I put money into a property, I renovate it, and now it's worth more, right? And I can rent it out for more. But the operational play is much more nuanced. You know, you, you bought this property that was built, what, three years ago, maybe. Yeah. And, um, you know, how are you vetting a management company that's telling, you know, to, to be able to say, yeah, we're going to collect rent better than the previous guys. And we're going to come in and we're going to run this thing smoother than the previous company you know, on this brand new asset, really 2019, brand new still, right? So so tell us a little bit about that process. 
Well, I think the first thing is you have to have confidence in your business plan. And when you have confidence in the business plan, you recognize that the plan itself is solid. And then you find the people who can execute on the elements you need in a plan. Uh, but it's not solely dependent on one individual or one company to to deliver, right? Um, so I, I hate to use sports analogy, but think about it like this. If you've got a great game plan for, you know, basketball or football, you know, you recognize the skill of your team, right? If you don't have a great quarterback, you're probably not going to call a bunch of plays that are, you know, 50 yard bombs. You're going to put in a game plan that, you know, has the least amount of challenges as possible to be able to execute effectively. So for us, I'm going to be heavily involved. Our team is going to be heavily involved. We are not saying great. We got this property handed over to the PM and we can't wait to see the results. We're actively involved in the decision-making. We're identifying comps. We're the ones taking a look at what's happening in the marketplace. It's a collaborative effort, but we are absolutely driving this process. We are not just listening to the feedback of RPM and taking that as gospel. So we're sitting down, we're listening to them. We're having a collaborative conversation, but we are very clear. We're clearly driving and developing the business plan with their feedback versus the the inverse of that. It's not them coming to us, telling us what they're going to do and us just agreeing or pushing back. We're telling them, hey, here's our expectation. Here's what we see in the marketplace. Here's how we arrived at that expectation. You know, what questions do you have? What challenges do you see? And do you have any concerns on being able to execute this? So when we talk about that operational play, even coming into a deal like that, you have to understand the story. And the story on a deal is so key because, again, you talk about a newer asset. It's easy to say, well, is there even value that can be created here? But you got to keep in mind, it was built in 2019. 2020 is when COVID really hit where most of us got a little concerned on rent collections, will people be able to pay rent? And you know, what's my property going to be worth, right? So when you have a brand new property, there's a lease-up phase. And during that lease-up phase on a new property, you typically are not pushing rents to the absolute max because you got to get the building filled. So that's what happened on the first year of that property. So you go into that second full year, that's when you expect them to stabilize and maybe push rents a little bit more. But again, COVID hit. So instead of them pushing rents, they tried to focus on retaining the residents they had. Now, as you and I know, rents actually shot up during that time frame, but they didn't anticipate that. None of us could anticipate that. So now there was a gap between where market rents should be and where their current rents actually were. So by the time we bought it, we recognized there was an opportunity to close that gap in rents, right? So for us, that's why it's so important to talk about where we're at with rents, what are the comps we're using, um, how do we know with confidence that we can get the rents we're looking at, and going out there and continuing to push that business plan, You know, making sure that we see how many people are touring the property, what are we doing to market right now, uh, how many people are on our wait list, and all those factors weigh into our level of confidence. If you tell me we don't have anybody on the wait list, okay, well, wait a minute. That tells me there's not as much demand and interest, or we're not getting in front of enough people for them to know this property exists or our value proposition is off. So all those factors come into play if you're running an operational thing and you can't just rely on the property management company. You have to ask these questions. You have to make sure you're telling them, hey, let's make sure we turn this up or let's spend a little bit more on marketing or you know, let's, uh, let's offer a move-in special, whatever the case may be. And sometimes you just give them ideas. Okay, well, hey, what can we do to get 
another 10 people on a wait list this month or this week? You know, can we offer any specials? Can we, you know, have an open house? Like, what do we need to do? Do we need a billboard? So now you're, you're collaborating on how you get the results you're looking for, but you don't waver on getting those results. Man, I love that. I love everything you just said, John, you're so well-spoken and clear. It's all so clear in your mind. And, and thank you so much for sharing that with us because it just makes total sense. And, and I love, we actually, in all the episodes, I don't think we've gotten really into the, the operational play nearly as much as we should have. So I really appreciate you coming on to, to share that with us. So uh, before we go, um, I would like you to share for our audience where they can find out about you. You've got a podcast. This is the time. Tell, tell everybody about uh, where they can get in touch with John. Yeah, two ways to follow up with us, right? So one, we've got a podcast called Multifamily Insights. If you want to connect with the other investors and learn how they're identifying great deals, how they're managing these deals, how they're growing their portfolio, uh, check us out. It's anywhere you listen to podcasts, Multifamily Insights. And then we also have a sample deal package on our website. So if you're an active investor or a passive investor, I think there's some great, great, really good value in uh, checking out the sample deal. One, you should think about what kind of questions you should be asking when looking at a deal or evaluating an opportunity. And if you're an active investor, you want to know the kind of things that you want to communicate to potential investors. And if you're a passive investor or looking to be a passive on a deal, it's a great way to wrap your head around deal structures and questions and all those kind of things. And you'll get added to our mailing list. We'll send more updates and communications and tips as well for multifamily investing. You can check that out at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. I love that. Great, great free resource for everybody to go check out. All right, John, final question. Uh, somebody approaches you and says, John, I want to be more active in multifamily investing. I want to be an asset manager like you. What is your true multifamily tip for them? Wow, that's a great question. So the best tip I could give you if you want to be a hands-on asset manager is surround yourself with other people who are actually doing it. Uh, if you have no experience being a hand-on manager, make sure you join a general partnership team and you can ask questions because you are going to be responsible for the results. No one cares about how you get the results. I mean, obviously, as long as you do it in a legal and ethical way, um, you know, that's important, but you've got to make sure you get the results and you have to anticipate the challenges and issues that can arise on every deal. And a lot of the things that we just talked about, they just come from experience. You have to have some experience to understand and be able to anticipate. So make sure you have that. You're surrounding yourself with people who are there. Uh, get a mentor, get somebody on your team, a partner, but have somebody in your corner or next to you that can help you navigate that experience. Even for me, I mean, I've got people on our team who have even more experience than I do so that as we're going through these processes, if there's something that they disagree with or they've done it a different way at another property, I'm always willing to take that feedback and listen to other ways of getting a job done. Perfect. Love it. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, guys. Check out uh, the show notes. If you miss any of John's links, websites, all that will be up in our show notes as well as all of his social media networks. So, John, thank you again uh, for sharing with us. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Justin. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.